0: tactic on leadership high performing leadership and vulnerability. Um, I want to start off with a misery question because I always think that we kind of grow and we feel a little itch. And here's the question. Have you ever worked in a relationship either under or lateral to somebody who was a Heisman? And what I mean by Heisman, anybody know what I mean by Heisman? You know, you know the the trophy? Somebody that would keep you at bay, wouldn't let you in, wouldn't connect and you had to still work in the same space with them. What was your experience? You ever been around someone who was totally not vulnerable and did not want you to be vulnerable in Heisman? You? What was that like for you? What was the experience like? I want to get to the misery because it's a miserable kind of way to work.
1: It was my COO that I had to fire. Um, the hard part was we, we had to discuss failures, and he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. He just didn't want to talk about failures because he, he lived in this world of of if I just paint the picture rosy enough if I just say it and I project and I proclaim somehow that it will be well. Fake after. it till
0: you make it. Yeah,
1: you know, and it was like it's not that's not the reality we're in. We just couldn't go there. I mean, it just because he because part of the failure was him. And it was How did was that gone. affect
0: the company functioning and and your and your functioning
1: too, Bill? Communication went down everywhere. Okay. Holistically, the communication dropped yeah. everywhere. Yeah, that was the, that was the practical side. Yeah, that's the bad fruit.
2: That was the bad fruit. Good, good example. Yeah. Somebody else. To me, it's not the company; it's <clears throat> my mother. Delus- yeah. Delusional. I just uh, that we'll never talk about. It. There's no problem. Yeah.
0: Your so, mother Heisman reality.
2: Reality. Yeah. Uh, problems. Everything's like oh, it's beautiful downside. outside. Neg- negative right reality. Uh, negative reality. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Ignore struggles,
0: conflicts, better. issues, challenges. do Talks about the flowers. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's and and how's that affect
2: your relationship with her? It makes it impossible to, particularly as the family's gotten bigger, uh, and the more people in the family, wives, kids, etc. It's harder Like, I could kind of deal with it, but the, the others have struggled to manage with that situation. Okay.
0: okay. So it's it's had a bad fruit. Pr- absolutely. Somebody in like this quadrant's got a vibrator. I mean, I don't know. I don't well,
3: someone beside them, could you raise your hand? And hit them
0: on the- <laughs> How about <laughs> us? Okay. All right, good example. One more. Where you've been around somebody not vulnerable, and you couldn't go there, they couldn't go there, and they had a bad fruit.
4: I've got a client like this that we work with on a regular basis, and. and uh, um, uh, Completely uh, invulnerable projection to the world, and uh, what happens in his organization is really interesting. Is that one he attracts a lot of people that seem to mimic that behavior, and uh, a lot of the decision making is really volatile, Mm. where it'll swing widely towards like this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Let's go, you know, change the world. To I had no idea what you're talking about. I can't believe we. I don't think we've ever discussed that, and it's just really back and forth all the time. Yeah, and and the fruit of that was it's just tough to work with. So Can't work people with want to kind of avoid the, the, the relationship or do you know what we need to do but then you know really go focus on things that we feel like are more productive and, and have better working relationships. Okay. A friend of mine, Patrick
0: Lincioni, the guy that wrote Five Dysfunction, The Advantage and this sort of thing, says in his book that the naked executive or the naked Thursday? No, not Vern's book. <laughs> um, but he talks about how as a consultant, because he's like one of the top consultants in the world, says they're all trying to do smoke and mirrors to, to walk in and say you know here's all the yelling and screaming and stuff and he says what he's learned to do is to go in and when people ask him a question if he doesn't know the answer he does something revolutionary he says I don't know and I'm not sure and people kind of like loved him all the all his uh, companies kind of went you're the first person ever been vulnerable about like what you don't know what you're not strong in and he wrote a whole book that was a New York Times bestseller on that because as alphas, your vulnerability is counterintuitive. It works against all your training. It works against who you are. It works, works against how you should be successful because you're supposed to take the hill and be Marines and who you are. And you are. You got to take the hill. You got to be a Marine. But the vulnerable aspect will really accelerate things. And if you can't be vulnerable or don't know how, it'll really give you a ceiling. So the takeaway from this talk is to give you the, an understanding of what professional vulnerability is and personal vulnerability, and also some skills to do it. And One thing I do is in these didactics I always have a turnkey homework assignment. Because some of you guys go, I don't know what I want to work on this month. At the end of every didactic, I'll have a couple of questions you can say, that's my homework for this month to keep it applicable if it sort of strikes a tone in you. Um, The key Bible passage here, I love this because it just kind of tells you emotionally where Paul the Apostle was. It says um, in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, uh, where's my written version here? Somewhere. Thank you. He says, Our mouth has spoken freely, you O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us. You are restrained by your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. And the reason that's so important was because Paul's leading you know, the, the new church. I mean, he's getting it out there. There's this whole movement going on. And he's talking to the Corinthian church, which is a young church and he's saying to him, you've got your values straight. You've got your faith straight. You've got your doctrine straight. I don't have you. It's kind of like what you guys' wives were saying last night at some level. I want you. And he's being very vulnerable that he wants more of a relationship than are you meeting your goals? Are you a good person? He wants a connection. And that's the way God is. That's the way um, the neurology teaches we should be. And so if you want to perform at the best levels, vulnerability is a good thing. So, um, definition of it, if it's in your handout, a vulnerability is taking a relational risk to promote a safer and deeper relationship. Um, what you're going to find out, basically, if you're vulnerable, is you're going to just diagnose the, the, the nature of your friendships. Because there are some people when you open up with, they'll kind of go, kind of like your mom. You know, you say something like, I really struggle. I, I really failed in something, I have judged myself, I beat myself up. And they'll say things like, ah, the weather's great, or, well, you're not that bad. And they can't go there for their own anxiety reasons. Then you've got some that'll kind of go, me too. I get it. Tell me more. I've been there. And you start to find out there's some people that, I just call them dinner and a movie friends. I got a lot of dinner and movie friends. We go out and have a glass of wine with the wives and have a good movie and dinner. It's fun. But they can't go there. They're just nice people. Then I've got some others that when I begin to open up, they kind of go, I need to talk about this some more with you. And here's my story. And I find that these are my deepest and most satisfying, and most fulfilling relationships. And it happens at work, and it happens at wor- in a relationship. Um, so what I thought would be helpful first is give you kind of cellular benefits because, you know, why would we do this in the first place? We are trained in our business lives to keep it safe. You know, positive face forward, show the strengths. You know, lead with strengths. Well, the research says um, that is not the case. The first benefit is that um, vulnerability will connect, create connection and trust. Those of you who were last year know that um, there's a working definition of the word trust that I really like. I think this, is this thing empty?
3: Yeah, that's the, the worst of the,
0: uh, the... No, that's good. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. With yeah, a little... There's luck. some others over there, Jeff. Okay. How about an eraser? Oh, uh, go very good. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> the word I like to use for trust, I mean, is is actually is from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew, and in the Hebrew it means to be careless. To be careless. When I trust someone, I'm careless with them. When you trust someone, they're safe with you. You don't have to edit. You don't have to be politically politically correct. You don't have to walk on eggshells to make sure you say the right thing to them. You don't have to be spiritually correct so you can say the right God words. You just kind of vomit, and if you have a bad bad day, you don't even think about what you're going to say. You just kind of vent it out, and all of a sudden things get a lot better. And if if you go to the Psalms, David is a very careless person. I mean, David doesn't sit there and kind of have this structured talk to God. He goes, "What are you doing? I should be the king." And Saul's getting ready to kill me. I live in a cave. I'm about to die, and he's very very organic and he's very natural. He's careless. And in the best relationships, the best life-giving relationships you have, you're careless. So in a culture of a company, as well as your personal lives, what you want is people that you can be with, that you can also bring from, the ability to be careless. What you find out, what I found out is that in my own businesses, when I am vulnerable with my people, they will walk over coals for me. They'll go, I've never had a relationship like this and I don't like make them my confidants if it's like directs and stuff but I've got professional vulnerability and admit mistakes and talk about challenges I get loyalty that I never thought I would get people are dying for this right that's the first benefit the second benefit it promotes true reality to emerging conversations and that means solutions can occur I've been in a lot of situations and you have too where when people couldn't be vulnerable they kind of played the game. Like, you know, you're having the board meeting, you're trying to solve some marketing problem or a strategic problem or a money problem or whatever, and everybody's got to say the right thing, but then there's always that, uh, that little boy in the back, not little boy, but that person who's the little boy in the new has no clothes that says, there's a problem here, these two guys don't like each other, or we're really unhappy, or you're really screwed up, and all of a sudden the real problems come out. Vulnerability happens you can solve problems. You really cannot solve strategic problems, money problems, personal problems, or relational problems unless you're vulnerable. It's sort of like if your organization is the patient in surgery on the operating table, vulnerability is the surgery that is, the, is anesthetic that opens everything up so you can get in and change things. And without vulnerability, you really can't get to the patient. You can't get to the organ. You can't get to the why issue. So it really solves problems. And the third is a neuro- neurological reason. What we found out is that um, they've done a lot of studies on trust and um, oxytocin. Anybody know it? some of you guys know more about the hormonal stuff than others? Oxytocin huh?
1: relaxes.
0: It's a relaxer. It's the... It's the cuddle hormone, it's the uh, feel-good hormone. What are you laughing at, Moore? I just thought
1: of the cuddle hormone. I tell my wife that Yeah, the oxytocin moment. where do you get that? Uh, yeah, honey, we need to have an oxytocin moment. part. a regular injection. That,
3: that, that Townsend thing.
0: Um, but what we found out is it's not even a sexual male, female, or whatever thing. It's just a people thing. And that when people are vulnerable to each other, this oxytocin gets released in the system. It's sort of like God, the author of neurology, made it so that it burst. And when that happens, people feel good. They want to work. They feel energetic. They calm down. They feel close. And so the more vulnerable you have in your culture, and it starts with you, always starts with you, people just kind of start to feel like, good, I like being here. I like who I'm with. So I'm going to stop here for a second. I want a couple people to say, name the person, and I, I'm going to kind of push you on this. Let me challenge you a bit. It's, it can't be your wife. Name the person that you know, besides your wife, because people, leaders always default to that. It's easy. Who really you feel like you can trust the most, that you're the most careless with, in this sense.
2: I have a friend, our Tap. TAP.
0: TAP. Yeah. Okay. What is it about tap that you feel really safe that you can be careless with Tim? What's about him and the dynamic?
5: Well, I guess we've we've uh, related and I've tossed stuff his way and it hasn't bounced,
0: you know. You've tossed. <laughs> I like that. I don't You've don't tossed stuff at you. You throw good. some stuff at him that he could have judged or condemned or tried to fix you or whatever, and he was okay with it, yeah. which made you want to do it more. Okay, great. One more. I want to kind of, I like to affirm when, when people are trustworthy in their lives. John.
2: Uh, John. I'll say David, my friend David.
0: David? Yeah. What is it about David that helps you be careless?
2: Um goes back a long way. kind of uh, when he screws up, he kind of tell you he's, he's he listens to your shit, knows him not perfect, doesn't really care. And
0: that opens you up to be that way too. Yeah. So thank you, David. Tack it, you had somebody.
1: Yeah, Al Yoder.
0: Hal Yoder. Hal Yoder.
1: Al. Al, um I, I feel safe. I feel um, known and loved for who I really am. And
0: he knows you. Knows
1: the junk. Knows all the knows stuff. Knows the junk and he's yeah. there for
0: you. Then, yeah. Okay. So. All right. Thank you, Al. I wanna challenge you guys to make sure you've got these people in your lap. Harris?
1: Um
5: My best friend Tom. What's going through my mind is I want to have a conversation with him and say, Tom, how can we go deeper? We've been best friends for ten years. Yes. And I feel like I feel like the the movie dinner relationship with him. And the movie I, what? What did you say earlier? The the friends 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 oh
0: yeah, the dinner and movie friend. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Those guys. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge him and say, Tom, I want to go deeper with you. We've been best friends for ten years. Perfect. We, we need to go to the next level. So
0: uh, I'm here in a homework assignment. <laughs> It would be very cool to see what he does with that, because he might be going, I've been dying for this, but I don't have the skills, and you've got the skills. So it'll be really good. Okay. All right, so let's move to the, the little more of the, the aspects of it now. I'm going to walk you through um, how, th- how this happened. I, I thought it would be helpful in this didactic to do it in terms of a conversation, because vulnerability is a conversation. It's a lunch, it's a Starbucks, it's a phone call. If you're going to be vulnerable, guys, first thing you've got to do is you must express something. It means you've got to say something in the big five of professional vulnerability. The big five. In other words, there are five content areas that executives and leaders have got to open up about, open the kimono up, and I just got them in in these categories. First, a mistake. You know, in other words... Uh, I screwed up on the Smith account. It cost us a half a million dollars, and i 'm um, not trying to put you know a bow on this and say it 's okay well I'm okay, I really screwed up. very hard for us to say because shareholders are looking at us and stakeholders are looking at us and people we depend on, but that 's vulnerability now by the way, by the way, I am not saying be vulnerable to everybody in the whole world there's some snakes out there and there 's people that are crazy and dark and psychotic and and have really bad character, but once you pick the right people, especially in your company, I think that um, you owe it to the people that are real stakeholders in you, with you who who you care about to say, my fault, my fault. Second is a struggle, and a struggle is different than a mistake. A struggle is basically I am wrestling with something and I haven't had victory over yet. Uh, I've got a marketing struggle, or my culture isn't where I want to be, or I'm really wrestling with this M&A issue, or we've got strategic concerns or whatever, or I'm not really doing well personally. I don't have a lot of energy, or my, my wife and I are fighting, or I've got a kid that's struggling or whatever. But um, we found something out about this in the research because um, there were some studies done on what makes a person follow somebody. You know, leaders are to have followers. And we found out, we, I, didn't, I didn't do this research, I read it, is that people are drawn to somebody who is struggling. What is that about? You want to, you should be following you know, John Wayne and the guy who never loses and Tom Brady, right? Why would people be drawn to somebody who's all talking about a struggle? There's a really interesting reason on psychological level. Because you can identify. You can identify. There's the me too, like, oh my gosh, he, he's struggling in those areas too. And you start to feel like, well, he's, he's built the same stuff I've built up. We tend to think we've got to be Superman and be vulnerable. People don't follow somebody like that. They just don't feel like they can identify. The principle of identification is very, very powerful in establishing love and attachment and loyalty. The third thing is a weakness. Now, weakness is different than a mistake. A mistake is a one-time occurrence. You know, I messed up on XYZ. My board meeting, a sales issue, something, a relationship. A weakness is, this is a pattern or a tendency or a trend. A weakness is when I've got an ongoing challenge and I really haven't fixed it yet. And I think that's a very vulnerable thing to bring out, to say it's hard for me to confront. You know, when I, I was working with a guy this week, um, a client, who has great business, you know, he's probably in the, I don't know, 80, million dollar business, they're doing good, And um, but he can't get to the next level, and I'm kind of unpacking with him, and I said, well, how, how are you, with like, confronting problems? He goes, oh, I suck. I said, well, tell him what you do. He says, well, I kind of go bipolar. He says, either I come in and I, you know, I blast people and hurt people's feelings and everybody like feels decimated, or I just go, there's too much trouble, I don't really have the skill, and I avoid it. So those little misdemeanors of performance, little misdemeanors of culture, they just grow and grow and grow until they're felonies. He said, I'm the worst at that. I either, you know, people tell me I'm not safe for them, people tell me I alienate them, that I judge them, that I'm a, you know, a... <laughs> What's the RPG that blows your... I'm a Hellfire Missile. Or they tell me, um, they tell me, you don't even come up with things. And I said, you gotta go to your people and tell them that. You gotta tell them, I'm growing as a leader, I'm growing as the guy running this company, and I have not been good at constructive, con- con- constructive confronted conversations. And he did it and they went, well, first they went, yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> You know, no big surprise. But then they start opening up because he admitted admitted a weakness, an ongoing challenge. And he's working on it. The fourth one is a need. Um, uh, Big surprise, guys. You guys have needs. And you have needs for encouragement. You have needs for somebody to listen to you. You have needs for validation. You have needs for empathy, for understanding. You have needs for people to to be on your side. And alphas are really bad at getting their needs met. You guys are sort of anti-need. Because you're trained to be the source of need meaning for other people. I will be their encouragement. I will be their empathy. I will be their you know wisdom and you're really bad at being sourced. And all year we're going to be working with you guys. not we want you to source other people, but on getting your tank full. You're real, the research says you're awful. you're awful at getting your own tank full. You might get it filled vertically with God, but you don't get it horizontally met with other people too. And yet the Bible says you should. First Peter 4.10 says that we are the stewards of God's manifold grace. We are the delivery system. People are the delivery system of love and support, empathy, understanding. And watch out for the vertical only leader who doesn't ever get it from people as well. So you admit a need and say, you know, I really just need to know I'm okay because I don't feel like I'm okay. I feel like i made a lot of mistakes and I feel like I'm... Not doing what I should, what I should be, and I beat myself up, and I got this judge in my head, and I need you to tell me I'm okay, and and the good people in your life will go, that you know they don't blow smoke and go, no, you didn't make any mistakes, it'll all be okay. They don't put a Christmas bow on it. They go, yeah, you screwed up, and you're okay with me, and I don't judge you, and I want to help you. You've got to start having your needs come out. And the fifth one is a vulnerable emotion. You know. Emotions are kind of like anti-leadership, but we found out that the leaders who don't have emotions are really in trouble. Daniel Goldmus told us this, the guy that invented mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and all that sort of thing. Primal Leadership was one of the greatest books I've ever found in this. And he researched of all the ways that leaders perform higher when they're touched with their emotions and other people's emotions. Householder wants to be better attuned to other people's emotions. He's working on that both for himself and other people. It's where the, the top leaders are going. Command and control really doesn't work like it used to. What does work is a leader who's very structured and ordered and has direction, but also very attuned to emotions. And you've got to be able to talk about the negative emotions. There's probably five negative emotions you have to deal with. I don't mean negative in the moral sense. They're not bad. They're just uncomfortable. Anger. You know, I get mad at things. Sadness. I've got to let something go. I feel sad. I feel grieving. Um, anxiety, I'm nervous about this, I don't know how it's going to go. Guilt, I'm beating myself up. Shame, I don't like myself. Those are the big five, and vulnerable leaders are talking about that. That's why I loved him when Tackett said, hey, this year I'm working on shame, but i got stuff that i got to deal with. That, to me, is the mark of a really high-performing person.
4: John? So this has been a real big growth area for me in the last uh, probably decade, uh, 10 years, uh, in this, this concept of the difference between emotions and emotionalism. Emotions being what you feel and experience, and emotionalism being how if you act out of that emotion. Mm-hmm. And what I had to learn—it was really hard for me to learn. But what I had to learn is how much people in the organization want to identify with the emotions of leadership: Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you anxious? All these things, but understand that you're not going to make decisions out of that uh, mm-hmm. in, in emotionalism. Mm-hmm. And when they start in this 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 idea, and it was really hard to learn because you tend to to fear the emotions because you're worried about emotionalism well, I, I can't you know, really express or, or, or get that anger out because then maybe I'll make a decision out of that. But uh, seeing that grow and then seeing the way people respond to that and how they rally to it, mm-hmm. it has, been, has been really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, limb, there's a, a neurological reason for that. We found that in leadership studies is your executive functions are your judgment, linear, making calls, decision-making, and your limbic functions are motion. And we found out that really good leaders are doing both. There's an the interplay between both. They feel things very strongly. But at the same time, they make good decisions based on the emotions and they're not emotionalism. Yeah. They are, make good decisions. In fact, I wrote a book on that. It's called uh, Leadership Beyond Reason, okay. where our reason is not enough. Where You're operating with half a brain if you don't have either side. Right. But yeah, it's, those are the good
4: leaders. Yeah, and the more that those emotions are expressed, and actually the more comfortable that people get around you because you are so. human. Right and but the not but them understanding you're not going to make decisions out of those emotions then gives them security and they trust you and trust yeah yeah it's an interesting balance
0: so the challenge for you guys is you got to express one of the big five in your homework assignments in your marriage with us in the process group you have got to say I need X Y Z and start to use the big five because those are where people begin to be drawn to you they're not easy but it helps
2: you love that, that homework hmm the homeworks way for growth. All right. Secondly, um,
0: take initiative to express, don't wait for permission. Um, typical leadership behavior is. Um, what page I want? I've got so many pages now. That's not a page I want. Sorry, guys. This is a page I do want. It's
3: at the bottom of. You know, yeah,
0: take initiative to express. Typical leader behavior is when you're having lunch with somebody or having a conversation. You go, how are you doing? What's going on? How's your life? Which is great. But most of the time, a leader will go the whole way through a conversation, entering someone's world and finding out about them. And if you want to have a vulnerable relationship, half of that conversation's got to be about you. And it's it's not fun because a lot of us go, well, I know, when they'll ask me how I'm doing, you know, I'll tell them. But most people won't. Most people are happy to talk about their lives. You've got to be the one with the need. There's a great passage in the book of James, chapter 4. It says, we do not have because we do not ask. It is my responsibility to fill my tank. It is my responsibility to say I've got a challenge or a mistake or a need. And if I go through a conversation I'm just listening to somebody else and mentoring them and deciding and, and, and helping them, Bad on me. I'm the one that's got to say I've got a need here. Um, part C. Front loaded, and I kind of, kind of funny statement here. It says, "This is me being vulnerable." Sometimes people don't know. Thank you very much for. We need, we need lots of coffee. Thank you, ma'am. We are coffee monsters. Um, Sometimes people kind of don't know you're being vulnerable because, especially in an organizational environment, you have to just kind of say, "Hey, can I change the subject? I know we're talking about sports or whatever, but I just want to talk about something else." And it kind of puts people on alert, like, "Hey, this is gravitas. This is significant." So let them know, i got to talk about me a minute. And people love that as opposed to kind of trying to slide into it. Just say, i gotta, I got to bring up something about me. I hope you got a few minutes. My experience is that people are just glad to do it. They feel like maybe, you mean I matter enough to you that you can open up and I matter enough to you that you want to hear my opinion about you and stuff? They feel like they're useful and they help. And you'll be surprised at the, how positive people are about that. Um, letter D, hey here's one, stop talking leaders don't stop talking, we are trained to talk all the time, we think our words of nuggets of wisdom are just so valuable and I know you guys are wonderful you're all the next Steve Jobs, I get it stop talking, just shut up and let the other person come in I've worked with, I was working with a guy who people would say, and he'd say okay I've, I've been challenged in whatever area and and then somebody, part of his team would say well I'm going to tell you I'm I'm really, you know, I get that and that's important. He would just override him and say, Oh, I know, I know, I know. But and he would just blow it off because he didn't he was anxious about it. He didn't want to feel vulnerable. He didn't want to feel like somebody cared about it. Two regulars? Mm -hmm. Thank you, ma'am. Let it as good. Mm -hmm. So stop talking. You you're an empty tank or you're on bottom quarter. You got to let the nutrient come in from the other side. If you don't shut up and let them say I'm on your team, I get it, I want to know more, how do you feel? If you don't do that, there's no transaction. It's just like a law of physics, you can't let the gasoline in. And then how do you respond to vulnerability? This is on the other side of it. When, you know, somebody's being vulnerable with you, or, or you want to help people to be vulnerable, what do what you do? There's, there's ways to do that I have down there. These are kind of like um, some things not to do when somebody's being vulnerable and the thing to do. The first one is, and again, this is when you're helping someone else be vulnerable. We just move that of you being vulnerable to helping them direct your wife, your kids, your friends. Number one, don't deny their reality. Do not deny their reality. Meaning, um, we, we tend to kind of put a sugar coating on it so that they don't feel bad. For example, um, somebody says, Man, I really mess, my, mess things up when you go. No, 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 no. It's not that bad. You know, it's all going to... Either we just kind of like put a Christmas bow on. It's going to be okay because we feel anxious. Or we put the spiritual Christmas bow on, which is what God's going to make something is. Well, maybe he is. But right now, that person's in the well. They're discouraged. They don't like themselves. They feel bad. They feel like something's wrong with them. And before you pull them out of that well and say, look at the sky, don't be that kind of leader. Be the leader that goes, I'm in the well with you. It sucks. It's awful. You screw it up, or things are bad, and all of a sudden they feel like you're the first person in my life that's ever got it. We have way too many cheerleader leaders out there. Way too many hyper encouraging, you know, take the hill, and they never listen to anybody, and they wonder why people aren't loyal to them because you got to jump in the well with them. You got some up there? As soon as you're done. Oh, my outline. Look at that. Wow, it's a lot of colors too. Yeah, the it's got. Thank you. Yeah, I know.
2: You're gonna go through the rest of those, right?
0: No, I was just gonna kind of like look at what you did for a second. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: you know it's interesting that you show a kid in the picture that when you talk about the stuff, thinking about work, 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 mm-hmm. I've kind of thought about it like when my kid comes to me mm-hmm. and you try to make your kid feel better straight away, and look like, well, not straight away necessarily, but yeah, yeah. You nice know, think, huh? Maybe actually you could use this for our kids. Let actually, me.
3: that's a really good point, Jonathan. That the vulnerability that John's talking about is the same kind of vulnerability with your kids that will increase the connection so they walk over coals for you, too. Yeah. And all of this stuff is great stuff for parenting and for your wife.
4: Um,
0: now, if I go over there, then I'm off the video, so I have to stay here?
3: No, I, it, it swivels.
0: It swivels? Okay, because I really... Let me talk about premature encouragement for a second. We're all supposed to encourage. We're supposed to tell people, "Look, you've got strengths. I, I believe in you. You can make it." I'm the one that gets who you are and that sort of thing. But the word, the pivotal word here, is premature. Now, most of you know my story about my niece and my sister, right? Yep. All right. I want to preach this for purposes and support it. It's gonna be a big book on this one day. I got a big family and lots of sisters. I'm many we got? We all we really like each other. And so every year I let my family over to the East Coast and we all hang out and do fun stuff. And uh, a few years ago, my niece, Lindsay, I got permission to tell this story, by the way, no, no lawyers involved. My, my niece, Lindsay, comes up and says, Uncle John, I've got a problem. And I said, what to do, Lindsay? She said, well, I got a, I'm having a tar- hard time. I'm a senior in college. I've got a communications major, so that and a dollar will give me a cup of coffee. Mm. Um, I got no job prospects. My boyfriend and I broke up, and I'm really heartbroken. I really like him. And I don't even know what my faith is anymore. I've got this spiritual monks going on. I, mean, I don't even know where I am with God. And uh, I'm in a bad place. I'm in my real funk. And my heart went out to her because I remember my 20s. My 20s were not fun. Either get a job-wise or relationship-wise, there's or spiritually. spiritual. Anybody, anybody have a problem with their 20s? Uh-huh. No. If you didn't, you probably were the problem. And, um, <laughs> and, and so you shouldn't raise your hands. Oh, I'm no, saying. No. So, so you know, I says, How's it going? She said, well, it's not that. It's, it's my mom. It's my sister, Susan. She says, well, what's the matter? I said, what's the matter? Susan? She goes, well, she doesn't get it. And I said, well, tell me about it. She goes, well, every time I tell her about the job thing or the boyfriend thing or the spiritual thing, she says, Lindsay, listen to me. You're smart and you're Christian and you're pretty. Feel better. I said, I can't understand why you don't feel better. I mean, I, I'd feel great. I said, that's why she says. She says, yeah, you're, you're smart, Christian, and pretty. You feel better. I said, that's not really helpful. She goes, no. I said, what do you do with your sister or your mom? She goes, I don't talk to her. I said, I avoid her. I said, what about your dad and my brother-in-law? She goes, oh, I talk to him all the time. I said, I, okay, I get it. She said, well, can you fix my mom? I said, I'm on the clock. I'm off the clock. I'm on vacation. I don't fix people. She goes, can you fix my mom? I said, I'll get on the clock so I'm having the family reunion time so I grab my sister you know in family reunions you know you have these little little kibitzes over here in the kitchen or yeah. one over here in the backyard or upstairs in the guest bedroom everybody has their little you know, sidebar conversation so I grab my sister and said say Lindsay says she's struggling she goes oh my gosh she is struggling you've got to fix her okay it's getting interesting here what do I need to fix she says well she's got a job problem with God problem, and a boyfriend problem you got to fix her I said, she tells me that you say that she's Christian smart and pretty. She goes, I know. Fix her so she hears my nuggets of truth, my golden nuggets of leadership truth. (laughs) I said, okay, it's more complicated than I thought. I said, "Um," she says that's not working. She said, I know, that's why you're trained. So make it so she hears it. I said, I think you're missing something. Let me use a metaphor because anytime you have a conversation with someone that's not working, always switch to a story because the other side of their brain gets engaged. I said, Your daughter fell down a well. She fell down a forty-foot well. She just tripped and she's in this bottom of this really sucky well, and she's discouraged and she's sad and she's confused and she's scared and it's dark and it's cold. The well of no boyfriend, no job, no God. The well of all that. And it's a bad place. And you come over and you at the top of the well where the sky is blue and the clouds are perfect, and you lean over and say. Honey, you're Christian, smart and pretty. Come on out. She did the Bob Barker kind of come on out thing. (laughs) And she's not responding. She goes, yeah, I am. I said, let me tell you what your husband does. I get a little emotional here. Mark jumps in the well. He just does a swan dive 40 feet down to his daughter. And he picks her up. And he just holds her. And he goes, it's dark here. And it's scary. And it's cold. It is confusing. And I've got you. I've got you down here. You will be up when you're ready to go up. Can I identify with this. You ever had somebody yell at the top of the well when life was bad? And you're ready to come out of the well. I said he jumps in the well. My sister is no fool. And she says, You're telling me to jump in the well, I see, right? She goes, that is so hard for me to do. I said, well, I know who your parents are. I figured that out. So. <laughs> I said, but you've got to work through this because you're a mom and she needs you. You've got to learn how to get in the well. But she said, but I love to get encouragement. I'm a cheerleader. I believe in people. I see in the big picture. I said, it's a great gift. You're out of sync. It's premature. You haven't earned the right to encourage. You haven't earned the right to tell a perspective until you jumped in the well first. And that is what our faith is based on. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus became like us, and it says he became like us in every way except without sin. So we could identify. He jumped in the well. And I said, if you want to get your daughter back, you've got to jump in the well. Put duct tape on your mouth. But be with her before you give her your nuggets. Is okay. And I checked on him about six weeks later, and how's it going? he goes, oh, we're good. Mom and our, Mom and are talking. And I said, thank you to my sister. But it's a leadership disease. You haven't earned the right to structure, encourage, and improve things until you've been in the well with. So, my question to you guys is how do you rate yourself on the well? All alphas have a problem in the well. We just do. A couple people. How do you rate yourself? How do you evaluate yourself?
2: Uh, Out of ten.
0: Huh? Out of ten? Out of ten. Locker scale.
4: Two and a half. Okay. <laughs> solid. 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 Okay. solid. He's, solid, he's not messing around here. He's a solid. He's a quarter way there. No less. <laughs> no less than a It's not 2.4. Not <laughs> solid.
0: Okay. Meaning, okay, I got some bandwidth I can, headroom I can work on. Somebody else. Just describe. Describe why it's hard. I mean, it's hard for my sister. It's hard for me to learn this. I mean, it's not easy. Why is it hard for us to do
4: it? you don't want to miss the, the, the moment. Uh, like I do this with my kids, I noticed, and, uh, where they'll do something that was, you know, silly or in you know row or something like this and get hurt. And so at first I feel bad for them, they got hurt, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry you got hurt, but you know, here's the reason why. <laughs> you know, Which part did they hear? Yeah, and you know, even if you're giving them a hug, you know, you got them close yeah. and you're gonna give them encouragement. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, uh, like a three second encouragement. It's like, now let's explain how you can avoid all this pain in the future by, yeah. you know, not doing that dumb thing anymore and then you catch yourself and you're like oh wow like how how bad would that make me feel if, if that's what somebody did with me there you go and uh but it's uh uh but i noticed that it, it just, it's just so easy i think especially my mo- my wife never does that because she's very empathetic right so she's on the roller coaster with them and uh um but uh for me um <laughs> empathy is, is broken so the uh i'm sympathetic but not very empathetic and uh, so it's just immediately like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, here's the problem, and I, and I feel you, you know, I'm sorry you got hurt, but, you know, we can avoid this all in the future by not ever doing that dumb thing again. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, so it, don't lean, feel don't good.
0: lean this far over in your tricycle next time you'll be fine. So. That's right. You know, if you just stay upright. You know. Thank you, Dad, for the teaching. By the way, can I have a better some balance. help with the bleeding a little bit? So yeah. Anybody else? Why is it a challenge for us? you got to understand why we don't do this. There's some really, really strong reasons why we don't do this world. Well.
1: It seems to be at work than it is at home with my wife. It's easier for me to listen to an employee than it is with my wife. I can get in the well with them, mm-hmm. and, I, yes. and, I, and I think it's it's harder with my wife because it feels like it, it's scary. It feels like there's something that's not going to change. It could become permanent. It could, it, it's fearful that like this is the what we're going to become is this thing that we're in. It's we'll stay
0: in out. the well and we'll never, yeah, get, and we'll out. never get out. Of it's this a fear. very common fear of alphas. Yeah. Yeah. as opposed to the fact that what we found about this is that when I do go in the well people finally go I'm ready now I'm ready to hit a challenge but we don't trust that people are strengthened by comfort people are strengthened by empathy people get more muscles to do things and you guys have found that you veterans have found that out it's not always the wise you know here's three points for making your things work better sometimes it's like Gosh! somebody finally heard me, now I'll go slay the dragons. The comfort itself strengthens us. You gotta trust that principle.
3: It's paradoxical that as you get in the world and talk about the very feelings and allow them to express it as strong as they have, that it actually deescalates the emotion, especially with kids. You think just to do this, don't do that, um, stop this is the way to go, but it's like putting a pressure kettle on it, and it will blow. You do the opposite, which is real scary. You just watch, all of a sudden,
2: it will decrease. Yeah. That's I mean, real paradox. The one thing we talk about jumping the well, I mean, like, I know that's all just a story of metaphor, but, like, to me, you put a ladder down the well, and then maybe you climb down the ladder into the well with it, as opposed to shouting from the top that, you know, you, you, you're smart and good-looking, don't worry. I mean, there's like the middle ground, the, the, the thing about jumping in the wilds, like, sort of just, even now I'm talking about, it. it still doesn't feel like something that kind of gets stuck over your head, you know what I mean? What would that feeling be about? not exactly sure. Okay. There's food for thought there, because
0: sometimes <laughs> a leader will feel like, if I go all the way down there, like you said will never come out or you'll get this person will become dependent or lazy or, not, or uninvolved or I might get in touch with my own negative feelings and I can't stand that I can't stand the negative part so I'll just kinda of pe- prep you up or go halfway cuz <clears throat> I got well stuff in me that I haven't faced yet a lot of reasons for
4: that. There's yeah. a lack of control um, when you're dealing with it in a personal situation like in marriage where uh, you know, at work, there's some distance, so mm-hmm. you can you know, empathize and you, you can be there. So either you feel like you're in a position to fix some of those issues, you know, adjust the situation, whatever, or you can just get out of it if you need to. Yeah. You know, they go live their life. There's a, a built-in in parameter. But when you're dealing with the, in a marriage or something close to you, kids, things like this, it's that lack of feeling that, that you get down there and maybe you don't have control, which is probably the accurate reality anyway. Yeah. Um, and then you're kind of like at this, you know, ship without a rudder. And of I emotional. lived with
0: this person for 40 years. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And um, don't fix them. You know, leaders are just great problem solvers. And sometimes you just don't need fix them. Sometimes people just know, I can solve my own problems, thank you very much. But I just need to know I'm not alone. So trust the fact that you're with smart people who really do have resources and don't try to fix until they need it.
5: John? Yeah. Um, Yeah, classic fixer. And so wife, kids they've got an issue, they're not coming to me because I'm going to jump right into the fix mode. Now,
0: so they've learned, so the, the cultural dynamic in the home is don't go to dad because he's going to fix too much and so just kind of bail. Yeah. Okay?
5: Now, I feel like I've made some strides in yes, just listening and, and jumped in the well with, with them, but they don't they don't trust me yet. So, so is it just going to take time or is it something
0: more that, Yeah, you can accelerate this. You can accelerate this, and I can tell you how. You can accelerate this by structuring more no-go times where I'm not doing an activity, we're not watching a movie, we're not playing sports, we're just kind of sitting there drinking something or tea or watching the sunset. And by asking them how they're doing, and if they don't trust you yet, they'll change the subject, and then you get vulnerable with them. You know, I had a hard day. You know, I didn't think I did a good job or whatever. So you model a vulnerability and then the kids or the wife go, this is new, and they begin to relate. But you have to structure the times. So I would probably triple the amount of times per month I'm having those conversations. It could be a 10-minute conversation. It could be one hour, but if you'll insist on that. Like I told you about the death walk I do with my kids, right? They call it the death walk. I, I raise boys, so boys aren't verbal, right? We don't talk. And so you know, all my friends' daughters were like chatty, chatty, chatty. And, you know, my kids would come home. How's school? Good. What'd you do? Sucked. Great. Okay. Glad I'm, glad I'm paying for this education. And so I realized my kids were not going to open up. So I created the, they called it the death walk, where you can't have dinner until you've walked around the block with Dad individually. You have to walk around. You're not, you'll are you starve to death. I know you're not, Get arrested or whatever, but you will not eat until you walk around the block with me because boys don't like this. You know, boys like this. They're like, let's look at something else because this is kind of weird, right? So we just walk around the block, and the first half of the walk was always, this sucks, I don't like this, where's my friends on my video, you're, you know, how bad a parent I was. Huh? Second half of the walk, something very interesting happened. They would say... And the coach doesn't like me, or I'm not sure I'll make the team, or I really kind of had a bad time in geography, or I really like this girl, or whatever, and they, that God built in natural vulnerability would come out, and invariably, I mean this is the history of my family, invariably, we'd get back to the house, and every, one of the, every time we did this, one of my kids would go, can I go around again, give me one more round. Point being, I had to force it and structure it. And the first half, they gave me a lot of grief, but they were designed to open up if I would just shut up and create the structure. So, yeah. so you talk about
2: nothing, or you just... It's in the first half of the walk, you're talking about you not talking at all, or you're just asking questions?
0: And, but I just kind of let them bellyache about how much they didn't want to be with me. But then their need for a dad and to be listened to and to be contained... And what ages
2: did you start this at? Huh? What ages did you start this at?
0: I started it at seven and nine.
4: A couple things that uh, we found work really well with our kids, <laughs> a lot of them. Um, I'm not very good at this, but my wife is. And what we found is that it doesn't always have to be one-on-one with the children. In fact, it can be really powerful if she's the one getting the stuff out of them, because she's really good at it, and I'm in that conversation, mm-hmm. but observing. Because I hear so much and mm-hmm. learn so much, because she can sit there and say, you know, how is gymnastics tell me everything? Mm-hmm. And they will. I mean, they'll tell her all these details, and, kind cool. of, and it kind of opens up all this stuff, and I'm just sitting there observing it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the conversation, and it's that that level where I'm actually participating in it, mm-hmm. even though I'm not the one trying to dig the information out, because I don't know the questions to ask, and you know, they answer was fine, I'm like,
0: good, we're cool. But by December, you're going to know the questions. Yeah. I want you to have that skill just as much as Melissa does. Think about the experience of a kid who has two parents who are both asking questions. Right. You double the parenting. Yeah. Good. Um, and then, uh, do convey safety, and safety means there's no condemnation. Um, I may give you advice, I may tell you hard things, I may confront stuff, that, but I'm not judging or condemning you. This is with employees, directs, friends, kids, whoever. But safety means there's no condemnation. And do empathize, and empathize means um, you know you've empathized with the feelings. That's why you know something simple, like that must be hard. This is huge for an employee who just feels bad about, you know, the fact they lost an account or they're frustrated or whatever. Or that must have felt sad, or you must have been frustrated, or you must have felt overwhelmed. Start to use emotional words. You know, we need to probably get the emotional chart, everybody, which really helps because leaders don't know leaders don't like two feelings. You know, I ate dinner, I feel good or I'm upset. Okay. You know, you, you got to increase the repertoire. and People just like that. And then. Um, Identify, and identify just means me too. Um, I was working with a group of leaders one time, it was another T.O.P., another part of the c- country, and a guy didn't want to open up in his group, he said, because uh, I'm close to bankruptcy, and uh, uh, this is just a horrible time, and I, you know, I'm kind of loser loser among the group. And I said, I knew, I knew the group, I said, some of you guys pitch in here, he didn't want to open up because of his embarrassment, and a really successful guy, like moving on a billion, said, which bankruptcy of mine do you want to talk about? (laughs) And the guy went, what? He identified. Mm -hmm. So those are the things to do to help people.
3: Neuroscience says often if you pair words with an experience, it will embed these things a little bit more. So maybe this video will
4: help It's just there's all this pressure,
1: you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me.
4: (laughs) And... (laughs)
3: <laughs> and I'm not sleeping very well at all. My <laughs> like, sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. What? So, so Watch.
2: That sounds
3: really hard. It is. <laughs> yes. See, look at that. Thank you.
5: Ow. Oh,
0: come, on. On. come on,
4: if you would just don't. Keep on talking till I can't go. We can't work
2: here. We can't work here.
0: What's the principle here? Sweaters are getting snagged. <laughs> You're, my sweaters are getting snagged. I love
4: that. All of them. I hate them.
2: What? So the fix of thing? Well, don't,
5: don't try
2: to fix it. Just let well, even it's if it's premature a premature thing, it's, it's a problem. premature yeah. thing. There yeah. is
0: yeah. a nail. Yeah. There is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll
5: We're going to sure. talk about that too. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. they did a good job hard. of representing. <laughs> 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 they did a good job of representing that connection when, when he said, you know, it must be hard. There was. You, can, of see you can see him struggling. You can see him. What am I supposed to
0: say here?
2: He looked like he'd been screwed. No, it was good. Well, yeah. Uh
0: there's a passage in John chapter like, one. Where can it can it just
2: take the, the nail out of your head, head <laughs> please. Because <laughs> I could not finish a conversation like that without saying, "Take the nail out of your fucking head." Yeah, I just, I just couldn't, and that's a problem. I mean, I'm that's that's a two point five. I know, interesting. It's solid, it's solid, <laughs> solid, solid, it's solid baby. Solid you are solid two five. <laughs>
0: In, in, in John chapter 1, is described the character of Jesus. He says he came full of grace and truth. And the Greek there is important in the order. The grace word comes before the truth word. You don't give truth until you got grace. You don't give your nuggets of structure and wisdom and encouragement until you get in the well. It's just the principle of the way we're built. And then just some obstacles to this because uh, it's hard. first reason that leaders are, oft- are, are not vulnerable is they're detached from themselves. I don't really know myself inside. Several of you guys kind of evidence that, hey, my wife kind of gets knows how I feel sometimes. I don't even know how I feel. Well, that's your responsibility. And sometimes a leader has had maybe a mom or a dad who were structured or very happy all the time or legalistic or whatever, but it was hard for you to feel yourself or maybe a a family of origin that was very task-oriented, achievement-oriented, but not relationally-oriented. So a lot of leaders go, I just don't know what I feel. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like I'm, I'm so disconnected from myself. And that's one thing this process will help you with is that you have, don't. when a leader tells me, well, I don't have any feelings, I just have thoughts, I'll go, no, 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 no. not neurologically. You have lots of feelings. You don't have access to your feelings. It's an access issue. I promise you, you are a highly emotional issue, a, a person, a highly emotional being, but you don't have access. And leaders, they want to be the rock stars and be on 12 cylinders and I'll be a Lamborghini You've got to get the access. We've got to keep breaking down the, the walls to that. Um, letter B, I'm very careful. I have a history of broken trust. Some guys do feel their feelings, and some guys do feel their big five vulnerabilities, but the last time they put it out there, I'm from the South, What they say, we drew back a nub. And what does drew back a nub mean? You're a southerner. Yeah. It off. Yeah. Yeah. Got eaten. Somebody bit it off. Somebody betrayed me. Somebody judged me, so I've learned, hey, 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 I'd better not do that. So... The answer to that is, got to find some safe context where people welcome that and they're good with it and they honor that and they're they're okay. Because broken trust will keep you from being vulnerable. Third is, I only like my strong and together parts. I've been trained to be Superman. I've been trained to have answers and to be always in the positive and always encouraged. And uh, basically, I am judging myself. I don't like my negative parts. I don't like my weak parts or my hurt parts or my sad parts feels like a wimp, feels like I'm a loser, and I'm my own enemy. And one thing we work on really hard here is for you guys to stop judging yourself. I had, uh, you guys will know that some of you guys were last year, w- there was a great confrontation when somebody said, you know, you're a great person, you're very positive, but I don't really know you because I don't know your weaknesses, and I don't know where you're hurt, and I don't know where you struggle, I don't know where you get empty, and it changed everything. It's kind of funny because in the leadership culture, the weak parts should go away to some you know back room over here. And I believe that in great leaders the weak parts should be loved and embraced and understood and listened to. I want to change the paradigm there. And then letter D, I've never seen or experienced vulnerability I have no idea what it is. I've just been a workaholic all my life and uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And we'll help you with that. So a um, couple of questions for growth. In other words the turnkey homework assignment is if this works for what you want to work on, how did you learn what you learned about vulnerability? What did your family of origin say? What did your mom say? What did your dad say? What was it like at the dinner table? What about your school or your coaching or your education <clears throat> or your church, your neighborhood? You learned you learned your patterns of vulnerability in early significant experiences, and how did your experience mark you? Some of you'll go, "Hey, I learned a lot about vulnerability. I had a vulnerable mom and dad, and school, and you know, sports, and church." <coughs> And it was great. Somebody would say, no, not me. I'd learn how to keep that stuff away. Secondly, what area of vulnerability would help you to feel connected and lead others better? My, my, my point of, of the area was, what are the big five is the hardest for you? You know, mistakes, struggles, weaknesses, needs. So big mark of you getting all the accelerant you need for being the person you want to be and leadership you want to lead Paradoxically, as Scott would say, is more vulnerability. Okay. Got time for a question or?
1: Absolutely.
0: Question or comment? Challenge.
1: Did you uh, you read Brene Brown's book Daring Greatly? Yeah, I did. I is love that, it. Is that a good text? Uh, I I think Brown's a rock star. Okay. For those of you who know
0: that she's a sociologist in Houston, rats and stats, analytics, numbers gal, who uh, wanted to study vulnerability. And so she figured, I don't know anything about it because I'm totally analytic, I'm totally left brain. She went into therapy and had a breakdown. <laughs> there was stuff in there that had never been processed. And she writes about what happened. And she has kept her rats and stats, she's extremely smart, great researcher, very strict on her reliability validity statistics, but she's learned the value of vulnerability. And she's kind of one of the leaders in the, in the world. What's her, what's the name in the book?
1: Brene Brown, Dairy great.
0: B R E N E or O W N. She's a TED Talker. She's been on Ted a bunch. She's one of the top TED Talk people. Everybody know what Ted is? Indeed. Ted.com. And uh, I there's, highly recommend. She's been the, she the
1: Global Leadership.
0: There's Center a Daring, Daring. there's a Daring website Daring. called Daring. TED. Technology, Electronics, Design. T E D? Technology, Yeah. And it's it's where the it's where the leading leaders have a 17 minute video. Like people like Seth Godin Steve Jobs, people have really accomplished incredible, interesting things, Mm -hmm. and you just watch the best of the best New York Times bestsellers who are creative do a 17-minute thing of their stuff. I'm trying to get on it. I mean, it's really good. And um, Brown's got one of the the most hit ones. Mm -hmm. Very good talk. So Brown? Brene is her first name, Dr. Brene, B-R-E-N-E, and her last name is Brown, B-R-O-W.
1: But yes, I think the book looks like that. Really good book, really good video. That's yeah, a good book.
4: She was at Global Leadership Summit, too, mm-hmm. in Willow Creek. Oh, she's, she's, she she, she killed, killed it at Willow Creek. Creek. That's probably not fully seven colors. That's probably six, maybe five. Oh. So what are Scott you
3: talking about? That. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to help me
1: out. but <laughs> interested in that uh, so, the obstacle, the first uh, detachment from oneself. Yes. Uh, you said, well, I wrote it in personal, I'm highly emotional, I just don't have access to my feelings. How much of that is a person's temperament, or his temperament have nothing to do with it? I'm wondering about people that I observe or work with that it doesn't seem like they do have access to their feelings, and when they say I'm just an unemotional person, that that's sort of their excuse. But maybe they really aren't, but what you suggest here is that they are emotional, they just don't have access.
0: If you do the brain scans... It's just an excuse. They are highly emotional people, we all are. So it's more of the fact that either that part of that life wasn't nurtured or it got beat up or abused or shamed or unculturalized, but yeah, we're highly emotional people. Hmm. Yeah. So that's why when somebody says, well, I'm not the emotional one my wife is, I go, well, then you're not being a husband. You know, That's a cop out. She, you shouldn't be the thinker and her the feeler. Certainly, people have strengths. You know, some people are better with logic, reason, judgment. And some people are better at attunement. But everybody's responsible to be- develop both sides. If you're, if you're all feelings, you got to develop your thinker. And if you're all thinker, you got to develop your feelings. That, so don't ever accept that as an excuse okay. for yourself or anybody else.
4: Uh, I grew up in a family that was very, um, uh, very closed off. In not, your family? Yeah, not vulnerable at all. In fact, my father still would be going through some of those issues. And, um, so I spent like 30 years thinking that I was not emotional and right. reputationally still is you know, cool, you know, uh, you know, just and, you know, bad news is just kind of like, okay, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, when I was about 30, so about seven years ago now, um, I really started to understand that I'm highly emotional. I mean, highly charged, highly emotional. And it's just that, you know, you not getting it out, not expressing it. and. Uh, and so since then, it's been a journey really to understand a lot more of those emotions and, get, and, and be able to experience them mm-hmm. while still playing. I mean, God still gave me the gifts he gave me. Um, and it's, it's pretty interesting to see that happen, even in my own family, because they're, they're you know, still not sure what happened to me. You know, like uh, what, what's, you know. Cool. It's very different. But So I would have characterized myself, Vern, as being non-emotional. You know, just being like, yeah, I just don't feel that much. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, it's like... You got access. Yeah, I'm actually highly emotional. I recognize that. It's fun actually. I just like it. Better.
0: Yeah, it's not a it's not a zero-sum game. It's not, well, a lot of thinking means a lot less feeling, a lot of feeling. Right. Right. It's it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. you got to be both to run your life, run your family, etc.
1: Was the book we were to read for this month, Leading with a Limp, was that part of this Absolutely. didactic? So. That's we why we discuss those books when we when we read them? How, how does that work? Uh, is the book kind of
3: a... Is uh, a sometimes uh, the book plays a role in just kind of getting you introduced to the topic. To the that's why Leading the Limb, La- they read, um, the ones that were here the last couple of years, read Brene Brown's
1: book already, okay. or, they, or we would have had it. Yeah, that's so, why John made me read it. John Wright did, so I got it, okay.
0: Wright made you read it? Yeah, he made me read it, that's why.
1: You so, guys it. That's
3: right. So we, um, so so that kind of gets it, and then there will be some uh, didactics that you're going to see more of that material in that John will refer to, and then some, like today, you yeah. won't see any.
1: That's why Bill said he was kind of pushing himself to read the books. Is it's because sometimes you just don't discuss yeah. them, but mm-hmm. reading them is is a valuable. Okay, I got it. It
0: kind of like integrates all this stuff into somebody that you read about and respect, and all that stuff. Sort of okay. We're good. So take about a fiver and we'll uh, shove our chairs over there and all that good stuff. Great. We'll give
3: you eight minutes. Eight? Yes, you have a very
0: good... Goodness
1: Goodness gracious, goodness gracious, goodness
3: gracious, goodness gracious, goodness gracious.